continuing on. And so we are seeing uh, part of the verse is that we are obedient from our spirit or heart to that form of teaching, we said, which is the teaching of grace. The gospel of grace is what he's talking about. Grace and truth, like we said, came from Jesus Christ. It gave more grace than the law did, okay? But he says, you are obedient, for is vain and dead without obedience. We have to see that grace has no effect, the same as faith, if there's not spiritual works and fruit. Now look at James, James 1, part of verse 21 and 22. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. It means it's a part of you. It's Christ in you. It's the renewing of your mind. It's knowing the scripture and it becoming a part of your lifestyle. It's implanted. It just doesn't get to the head. It gets to the being, to the spirit, and they start acting on it. It's not mental belief. And he says in 22, but be doers of the word. So that's why it's implanted. Do it. Be workers. Be fruitful to the word, which is able to save your souls. So we said we are saved and we have eternal life as we walk in the spirit. But it's not permanent. It's not final. Paul will tell us and did tell us that we're eagerly waiting for salvation, the hope of salvation. That's the final salvation. So people are not saved and sealed and once saved, always saved, uh, past, present, and future. These are all lies from false shepherds. So he said, don't deceive yourself. See, don't lie to yourself and think, well, I have grace and faith. Well, if you don't obey righteousness and follow the Lord, you ain't got anything. And whatever you have will be taken from you. And as a branch, you will be cut off. Now, verse 25. So he says, look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it. And the perfect law of liberty is the gospel of grace. He's speaking of the law of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. And it gives us liberty. Liberty what? License to sin? No, liberty to live righteously and not be bound by sin anymore and be bound to the Lord is what he's talking about. And he said, and you are not a forgetful hearer. You hear the word, you believe the word, but it don't mean nothing unless you do it. Okay? And he says, but doers of the word. Be doers of the work, actually, the spiritual work. So mental assent and belief and all that's fine if you carry through with it. But, you know, a lot of people say, I'll do this, I'll do that, and they never carry through with what they do. So it's vain. It's empty. It means nothing. Now we go to verse 8. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now the false shepherd and the greasy graces say you're freed from the power of sin and death mentally and legally, but you can still live in sin. It don't matter. Your spirit can't sin, so your soul does, so you just lose a few rewards. No, if the grace and faith don't work, you don't have it. You're still, as Peter said, under the pollutions and the bondage of sin while you're telling 
people, they have liberty in this greasy grace and easy faith. And then up to but lies. So we have been freed legally through Christ. And then as the spirit of Christ indwells us, he gives us the ability to do the will of God. And he gives us the ability to resist the drawings of the flesh and the evil. He says, well, you were a slave to sin and the devil and the world, but you're not now. You've been freed. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own, but you're not free to do as you please. You're free to serve the Lord now. And he expects righteousness, goodness, morality, purity, fruits of the Spirit. This is what he expects. That's what it means to abide in Christ. And if you don't, the branch will be eventually cut off. Okay? So it's grace. It is. It's unmerited in one sense. Anything God gives us, we didn't earn, but he initiates it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And yet most people reject it and go to hell. That doesn't change the fact that he died, his son, for everybody. Okay, But this grace and favor is a strength. It's not some passive expression. It works. If faith does not work, and it says by love, and Paul talked about that, then if grace has no power or strength in your practical life, then it's no good to you, and it don't work, and it's not real. And you're not seated with Christ in heavenly places if you're still living in sin. See, a lot of people claim, ah, yeah, and while they're professing that this, they're living in gross sin, they're deceived. And James says, don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself about this. Be doers of the work and of the word and not hearers only being deceived. So he makes it plain also. Now, he means in the present tense, since you've been freed, since you've been given grace and strength, you're slaves of righteousness or you're slaves of the righteous one. And that's what he expects. And so he indwells our spirit. He is the spirit of holiness and he's the helper and he helps us. And the new man delights to do the things of God, but we still have the old nature and we have the will that transcends both. And the will has the ability to do either. And so the will, we have to let it do righteousness and follow the Lord. And if we don't, then it follows the world and the flesh and the devil, and it gets the results of that. Your capability of moral choices and your actions and wills, that's your ability. It's never taken from a person, okay? And so you're slaves of Christ now. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. Jesus said, you find your life, you'll lose it eternally. You find happiness and everything goes your way. and all It's because you're living for yourself. If you live for the Lord, he says, you have to take up the cross daily. Your will is not going to want to do things, but you're going to obey the Lord anyway. And you're going to choose to, and you have to or you choose not to take up the cross daily. See, he always appeals, as the Gospels do and as the apostolic teaching, it always appeals to the Christian's will to do or not do something. Never says that God's going to do it. 
He gives ability. He gives grace. He gives strength. But as we've said before, he gives you all the weapons and you let them lay there on the ground and the lion's going to eat you. You have to pick it up. And with God's help, you can use the weapons. But if you don't, it's a vain. They're given to you in vain. Paul would say grace has been given to you in vain. It's useless to you because it's not working properly. Okay. In verse 19, he said, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. We're not talking about the sinful flesh, the carnal flesh, the part that sin works on. We're talking about the human nature, the natural man in itself can be neutral. It may be marred by sin, but it can yield to sin or not yield to sin. And so he's mainly talking about our humanity here. And because you have not spiritually matured, I'm going to have to talk to you at a lower level. Since you're not spiritual, I'm going to relate to you in more human terms so you can understand what I'm saying to you. Okay? For just as you presented your members, he's talking about your body members, your soul and your, your body, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in deeper lawlessness. He said, you used to do that because you were a slave to it. So now present. You do something. He says, you present. He doesn't say, I'm going to do it. He says, you present your members, your body, as slaves to righteousness. So we are the body of Christ, members of him. And we submit to the head, the righteous one. But we have to do it by the act of our will and choice. It's not automatic. Okay? And if we do that, he says, if we do that, it results in our sanctification. Well, our salvation begins with sanctification. And then as we walk in sanctification, we're walking in the will of the Lord. We've been walking in the light. And then the blood of Christ covers us from ignorant sins, flaws, mistakes, things we have not moved into yet. But it doesn't cover a gross sin and willful disobedience, okay? So God makes provision for us. He does not expect perfection, and definitely not overnight. Even Paul said, I have not yet obtained perfection. Well, he was sure trying, and he walked in it, didn't he? But he said, I've not attained it yet. So Paul had to confess sometimes and ask for Lord's strength. And he may have found out he did something wrong that he didn't, his conscience didn't bother him, but someone else may have enlightened him. James says that many things we offend all. So we do things sometimes. So he's not talking about perfection as God is. We're dealing in a corrupt world and we pick up dust like Jesus said. He said, I have to wash your feet. And Peter said, I won't let you. And he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, he says, you have no part with me. And Peter said, well, then baptize me. And he said, you're already mine. You've already been totally cleansed. He said, but you pick up dirt along the way. You pick up things, and so you have to have your feet washed. And that's why we have a high priest. We confess our sins. We return of them. We turn. We see the errors, and we, we strive to do better. And we're given grace to do these things. And a lot of people think you don't have to do nothing. Well, that's why you're not going to make it to heaven. Okay? And so the end result is sanctification. 
okay? That's the separation from the world, separation, separated to God, separate from the world and consecrated to the Lord. But that's the results of following righteousness, the Lord, and goodness, and being morally upright and keeping his commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. All the things we know are sin results in eternal life eventually. And if we, again, if we follow the enslaves to wickedness, then the wages of sin and, and the lake of fire will be waiting for the person. Okay? So both of them, they have an end to it. They produce something. Okay? So I'm stating this, he said, in human understanding, as you are weak in the flesh. So I'm going to talk to you like a child. You have to sometimes come down and condescend so they can understand what you're talking about. So I am giving you plain comprehension is what he's saying here. You once gave, presented, and followed your lust of the lower nature because you were a slave to it. You give yourself over to impurity, uncleanness, and lawlessness. That sums it all up. A lawless sums up all the sins. And that's why the, the professing Christian at judgment says, Lord, Lord, you know, he believes he's Lord. He believes he's saved. He believes Jesus died on the cross and everything. And Jesus doesn't challenge it. He said, I don't know you. You're not mine. You're never mine. He said, I never do you. You workers of lawlessness is the proper interpretation. Your lifestyle was lawless. It was against God. It was against the law of Christ. You were not subject to the lordship of Christ. So that's what he was telling them. So everything that we talk about in sin, uh, we use various words, iniquity, transgressions, errors, but they're speaking of the same thing, not submitting to God and indulging in the pleasures and the sins of the old nature. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. And so he says what? Now, in the present tense, as we said before, you're not a sinner saved by grace, you're a saint saved. And you were a sinner and you're saved by grace. You are not a practicing sinner. You may fall into sin, you may fall into error. And that's why we've given a high priest. I've had Christians tell me, well, you have to sin in word, thought, and deed all during the day. I said, whether well, you're a child or devil. You've never been freed from anything. Like someone said, can you go one minute without willfully sinning against God? Oh, sure I can. He said, then you can go a lifetime. It's your choice. You will either use the grace of God and his spirit or you won't. It's up to you. See, it always resides on the person. We live each day. He says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We're not told we have to live tomorrow. We may not be here tomorrow. He said, we just have to deal with the evil and the life that we have today. And we can do that minute by minute, okay? A lot of people think they can. I said, well, you're under the bondage of sin then. And something hasn't happened to you, okay? And now you can. Now, in the present tense, you were evil. You were sanctified. All of that was past tense, okay? So he said, but now in the present time, Sin has no power over you unless you let it. You've been delivered from its power. And people say, well, I'm under grace and not under the law. Sin and death still works if you're not using grace. 
You can claim all your positions and standing in Christ you want. And if it doesn't work, it ain't real. Very simple. And that ain't faith. People say, well, I faith, you just accept. Oh, so how can you be accepting something by faith while you're living in adultery and, and you're practicing these things? You're a fool. You're, you insult the spirit of grace. And you know what that'll lead to eventually. Okay. So he says, as you used to do that, and it had power over you and influence over you, it doesn't now. He said, I've broken that. And not only have I broken that, I've given you more grace. I dwell with you to help you. I did not indwell the Old Testament people. And so I didn't require certain things. I winked at certain things. I overlooked certain things and covered them by faith and the blood of animals until Christ took care of it. So the blood of the Old Testament covered it did not remove sin. But Hebrews tells us that he purged our conscience and spirit, and he purged us from evil works that we could serve the Lord. He did something. He removed the sin. He didn't cover it. He removed it. Okay? So that's grace and truth that is greater than under the law, what he was extending to people. So now you can yield your body members, your human nature, your human desires. and so You have the ability to yield them to righteousness. You can do good. You can be holy. You can be pure. You can keep the commandments of God because he gives you the ability to do it. So if you don't do it, you're in trouble. So you have to choose to walk in sanctification. He works the salvation in us And that salvation, like I said, people try to separate it. We are saved. We have salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification is mentioned first because it's at the beginning and the end of our walk. It's the process, too. Okay, And there's degrees. And some people walk more clearly with God and have less trouble than other people. And they have different moments when they realize I'm doing better than I ever did, or I'm not having to fight this as much as I used to. And so it varies with different people, okay? And so if we separate from the world, and as we said, Paul quote in the Old Testament, the Lord said, come out from among them and be separate. He means don't live like the world. You are to come out from that standard. And he said, and I will receive you. In other words, if you don't come out, he doesn't receive. If you don't repent, you don't get it. You don't get nothing from him. All that confession don't mean nothing. A man that confesses to his wife every night how much he loves her and kisses and hugs her, it's a lie if he's committing adultery on her and running out on her. And if she finds out about it, she don't care to hear all that stuff. She says, it's a lie. He don't love me. He has an affection. But he's not loyal, he's not faithful, he's not committed. See, there's common sense there. So when people tell me, well, I love God, I say, no, you don't, because you just told me you're living in adultery. You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Well, you don't know my heart. I said, you just told me your heart. You're an adulterer. You're practicing it. We're not talking about you fell into sin, and you're repenting, and you're doing, oh, no, you're continuing this. And so John says, if you say you love God and you walk in darkness, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Very simple. See, people like to, well, you don't understand. We have to, we had this experience and this, and I don't mean nothing. He's making you plain. He makes it so plain a child can understand it. 
You tell a little five-year-old, you go on the streets, you'll get a spanking. He understands that, especially when he's been spanked. Well, he ain't no mystery about it. It's very plain to people. And like he said, his commandments are not grievous. They're not too hard to understand to the one who walks righteously. The way of righteousness is plain to those who live righteously. It makes sense to them. Okay. So he said, come out from among them, and you will be my sons and daughters, and I will be your father. But the condition was to separate and come out and stop acting like the world and living like the world. That was the condition. When Jesus, first thing he uttered out of his mouth was what? People forget. He didn't say, believe in me. I'm the Savior. So, uh-uh. He said, repent. That was the first words out of his mouth. And turn to the Lord. Repent and believe. See, all the uh, believing and confessing don't mean nothing if you don't turn direction and say, okay, I'll stop it. And then he gives us grace to help us go further. And he can break the bonds of sins and habits with people. But he said, repent. And people tell me, the greasy graces, they'll argue with me and say, well, Paul never preached repentance. I said, isn't that astounding? I said, then he was a false apostle. Now, what do you mean? I said, well, when Jesus appeared to him, he said, go throughout the world and preach repentance and remission of sins and accepting the Lord. He mentioned remission of sins and repentance. He said, preach that. So he obviously... I guess Paul was a failure. I guess we can do away with all his writings because you're telling me he didn't uh, preach repentance. When Paul says put off and put on, put off is repentance. Put on is believing and acting on it. So they just express things a different way. Someone said to me, well, unless you can use the word born again, you don't. Uh, that's only one word. It's only used a couple of times. Regeneration's used. Adoption's used. There's other words that are used. Regeneration. People get locked into something. There are synonyms. There are different facets to express things differently. So James could say faith without works is dead. And Paul could say what? If you don't obey righteousness, you're in the bondage of sin. You don't have grace. They're saying the same thing a different way. They're expressing it a different way. Okay? So Paul is calling works He's calling it obeying righteousness. And how can you obey righteousness if you don't have true grace working in you? If he hasn't given you the grace and strength to obey. And he gives that. But you have to obey. So see, they make it so simple. But the corrupt mind to the impure, all things are impure. They can't comprehend spiritual things. I don't care how intellectual they are. Sin deceives them. God hides it from them. He said he did. He keeps it from him. He said the wicked shall never understand. Okay? But is the way of righteousness. It's made plain to those who want it and who are open. Even Jesus said, he said, those who desire it can know my teaching. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And so it's the sin. And as I said over and over again, oh, two things basically deceive people and leads to deception. They're practicing sin or they don't want the truth. That's it. That's why they're deceived. And that's why the multitudes are deceived. And that's why the multitude of professing Christians are deceived. They'll study and do this and that. But they know 
at one point that they're sinning and they won't do nothing about it and they excuse it and they do some good and give it a little bit more money and think that's going to pacify. They're deceiving themselves. Like James says, don't deceive yourself if you're not a doer of the work. And he called it work. He didn't say word then. Other places will be the doer of the word. Because the word is the work. It's active. It's not passive. Grace has to be active. Most of the false people, false Christians, they have passive faith. They have mental assent faith. It doesn't produce anything spiritual. It just lies to them. And if I believe positive enough, I'll go to heaven. Well, when you're dropped in the lake of fire, you'll figure out you're wrong. And then what you're going to do about it? See, that's what he's going to say to them. So we see what he requires. Our end is going to be wages of death, or it's going to be sanctification that leads to eternal life. So he's telling us this, what's going to happen to anybody. So you better get on the right train, is what he's talking about. Okay, 620. For when you were slaves of sin, past tense were, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have to serve God. You didn't have to be good because you were under the bondage of sin. And so he's letting us know something. You, you can't do both at one time. You either walk in the Spirit or you don't. You either live in the Spirit or you don't. As James said, you can't bring forth bitter and sweet water at the same time. Only one can come out of the fountain like the mouth. And he said, talking is the same way. You're either blessing or cursing by what you say. But you can't do both See, so many false shepherds and false Christians and deluded people, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They say something, and five minutes later, you sit and say, that's just the opposite. And then you try to show them that, and they look at you like, oh, what are you talking about? You're an idiot. You have to go one way or the other. You can't adhere to both. The Holy Spirit don't contradict himself. He's not going to argue against Paul by using James. They were in harmony. They were apostles. It was the same spirit that was guiding them. Oh, there's different degrees of revelation and depths and so forth. But basically, there's no difference in the Holy Spirit teaching to one prophet or apostle and teaching to another. See? So we have to understand that. I often think it's a little funny, but it's true. Paul said, if they want to be ignorant, let them be ignorant. I keep telling you, he's not trying to convince sinners and backsliders of anything as long as they stay in their sin. Warn the backslider. Warn the carnal Christian. Warn the one that's getting the heresy. He said two or three times, and then you leave him alone. You don't mess with him. You don't hound him because God isn't hounding him. God's hardening him. He's sending an evil spirit to deceive him. That's the consequences. See? People today, they don't know what the fear of the Lord is, but they will experience it in full measure one day if they don't learn it here, okay? And so we have to see what God... So you were free, past tense, for living in righteousness, but you couldn't live both. It says an evil tree cannot produce good fruit, and a good tree cannot produce evil fruit as long as he's abiding. But if he turns his attention to the flesh and the world and starts giving in to temptation, he can produce evil fruit. And he'll be cut off from Christ eventually if you don't do something about it. The Father won't put up with it. Okay, He has no bastards. 
So a true Christian is going to be dealt with by God if he doesn't deal with certain things. A false Christian, God don't care. He can live his whole life and be happy and do what he wants. He's a bastard. He's not under God's sonship. But the Hebrews teaches us God has no bastards. So if he takes you on, he's going to do something. And he's going to either discipline you and teach you, or he's going to drive you from the kingdom. He that is often reproved, that means too many times, he keeps doing something wrong and he won't be corrected properly and he will not conform. He will not change. He said he stiffens his neck. He gets arrogant toward God. He begins to fight. He don't want to give in. And that's called rebellion. Uh-huh. And it says that he will eventually, it says he will be cut off and that without remedy. It means God will have enough of it He'll cut him off from the branch of Christ and he'll be dead in his trespasses and sin and he'll be lost again. Okay? That's what happens to the person that will not be disciplined and will not fall under sonship and be corrected. And what does God's correction do? It says it's grievous, it's painful, it hurts, and the end process, God wants the people to be righteous and holy. He said, for without righteousness and holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. And so he afflicts the Christian at times if he don't learn quick enough. And he gives him pain and certain things. And all of a sudden, he don't like the consequences of his sins. And he can't even enjoy them. But he doesn't do this consistently. It's to catch their attention. Because you can correct a child and a teenager constantly, and they can still rebel. But usually, if it's a child of the Lord, they really want to serve the Lord, they'll conform. But he says the action is grievous. Taking the paddle and the strap to a child or a teenager is grievous. See, that pain shows them displeasure. It's trying to warn them of the future consequences. Even Proverbs says, don't spare the rod. He said he won't die when you beat him. He'll cry and he won't like it. He says, and you'll save his soul from hell. See? Well, they don't want to do that today. That's why we have all the kids are such monsters today and rule their parents. That's the problem. They're not disciplined properly. Not abused, but disciplined. And when he talked about the rod, and that went on the back, and it left some whelps, it's talking about grown teenager and young adults still under the authority of their father. And he would beat them if they got drunk and they did some things. They'd do it. So he wasn't talking about just little children. He said, they'll learn their lesson. Okay. And even elders, true elders and true Christians, it says that when they sin, he's talking about gross sin or something. He says, you rebuke him before everybody. You don't hide the sin. You don't cover it up. I know love covers a multitude of sin when it's repented of. And when it's something personally is done against us, we don't take it. We deal with it differently. But uh-uh. in the kingdom, the church don't put up with the bad apple. They don't let them poison other people. Uh-huh. And so we have to learn there's a way and there's a means. And so when someone who should know better and has been given spiritual authority and is a leader, they should be rebuked for everybody. God and Paul want some humiliated. They don't want to cover it up. And when it's done properly, it's rarely repeated. 
Now, a novice and a baby might do something, and the pastor or teacher may take them aside and correct them, and they'll have to expose them to everybody. You stop doing this now, and, you do and if they conform, fine. But the elder, see, they're worthy of double honor, but they're worthy of double humiliation when they sin. That's justice. They're not going to be excused. And that's why James said, you fools, believing that you can have Christian faith and not have any works, not have any fruit. And then he immediately said, what? Not many of you should be teachers. Why? Because you're teaching faith without work. Faith without works is okay. So that's why he said many of you shouldn't be teachers. So anybody that just talks on faith and grace, James would say, you don't have no business teaching. You're a fool. He'd call him a fool. Well, Paul called people fools, and so did Jesus. There's a time you correct, and it's sharp. It isn't sweet Jesus. The disciples were afraid to ask Jesus a question sometime because he was sharp with them, and he rebuked them, and he said, you should know this by now. And so people make Jesus something he isn't, but he can deal severely when he has to, okay? No chasing the Lord is pleasant. It's grievous. But it says if those who are trained by it and they conform to it and they give in, he said it will bring forth the fruit of righteousness. It means they're no longer setting. They're no longer in the world action. And he's saying what? They produce the fruit. They don't produce false fruit or no fruit. He said it produces the fruit of righteousness. For, and he connects the two as the son of Elms, for without this holiness, no man will see the Lord. So you're either going to be corrected here, or you're going to be punished in hell. There ain't no purgatory of the Catholics thing, where you're going to spend a lot of times being punished. Nothing's going to happen when you drop dead. Ecclesiastes says, whatever and wheresoever the tree falls, that's where it lay. Well, it says, it's pointing to man once to die and after that to judgment. There ain't no getting right once you're dead. Once God shut the door on the ark, it was too late for those people. There was no mercy. Once the master got up and shut the door, the five foolish virgins couldn't get in. It was too late. Okay? So grace can shut the door at a certain time. It says, okay, enough's enough. Let's go ahead and deal with this a different way. And so we see this, okay? He's telling us this. So 21, he says, therefore, now up previously, he said, if you follow righteousness, it's sanctification, which is eternal life. And now you're free. When you were slaves, you didn't have to be righteous. Now you have to. Therefore, for this reason, what benefit were you deriving from those things? He's talking to the Christian here which now you are ashamed. Now all your sins and pleasures and wicked things, what did you get from it? And he's going to tell you what you're going to get. Well, there's the pleasures of sin for a season, or people wouldn't do it. But there's a consequence. And he says, but the outcome of those things, the end result, like the righteous living lives the sanctification, the outcome is what? He said the outcome of that kind of life is death. See? Ultimately, it's death. That's what's going to, natural death will come anyway, but it's going to be eternal death, the second death, okay? So what did you get from being a slave to sin? 
you're going to get a punishment. You're going to see the holiness of God come into play. You will experience the wrath of God for eternity. And Paul said, Jesus saves us, who the believer, keeps us and hides us from the wrath of God. So, so much. Again, if you're going to say, for God so loved the world, in the same context, he said, but the wrath of God abides on the wicked. So he can extend benevolence and be merciful and hold off, but he still despises wickedness, and the wicked person's going to be punished. So he changed. Oh, he loves me so I can get away with anything. Well, you go ahead and deceive yourself. Well, people like that will find out how wrong they were when it's too late. He said, but now, well, he wants us to know something else. 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. You don't find many greasy grace and faith people emphasizing this scripture because they don't like being a slave. Well, if you're not a slave to God, you're going to hell. You're a slave of the devil and your sins. But you're not your own, and you can't find your life because the Lord said you'll lose it eternally. And you're not your own. I bought you. So you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to me. So, see, he wasn't into the Constitution and, and independence of everybody like we think he is. Uh-uh, it don't work that way. But now, he's talking about the present tense. Verse 22, but now, having been freed from sin and you are enslaved to God, what do you deprive and what's the benefit of that? He said, sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. So if you're living a life of holiness, sanctification, and you're being disciplined and corrected, and you're putting off the old and putting on the new, he says, you have eternal life waiting for you. That will be the end result. So it does pay dividends also. Because you come to Christ, you are freed from sin and the devil. But you're God's slave now. You're not your own. And that outcome of holy living, fruitfulness, obedience, good works, being led of the Spirit, is everlasting eternal life. That's the outcome. Okay, so it makes it very plain. Verse 23, the one that's so misused so often. For the wages of sin is death. Second death here we're talking about. Eternal death, lake of fire. Okay. But the free gift of God, okay, here's where they twist it. Oh, it's a free gift. You don't do nothing. You can never do nothing. They'll always want to emphasize that you don't have to do nothing. They're liars. You do have to do something. You're a slave to Christ. You have to obey the law of Christ. You have to follow him. You have to keep his commandments. Yeah, you do have to do something. His free gift was to free you from wickedness. Deliver you from the power of the devil in the world and accept you into his family. And so he initiated that and he made the plan of salvation and man had nothing to do with that plan. But man had a lot to do whether he was going to receive the plan. If he don't repent and confess, the plan don't do a bit of good to him. Okay, so the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The greasy grace people think they have salvation as a gift, but salvation is a person. And if they don't have Christ in them and walk in the Spirit, they don't have salvation. See, and so they think they have a license to sin. I've talked to them. They think you can sin all you want. It don't matter. Your spirit can't sin. It's a lying doctrine of the devil. 
That's what the Nicolaitans, that's what they believe. And Jesus said to them, he said, I hate their teaching. And their children, I will strike with death, the followers. So it ain't changed. They just conformed a little different. Okay, so in closing here, everything's a free gift of God. But there's responsibility, stewardship that's owed to him. And those that abuse his gifts, he withdraws. And if we don't abide in his goodness, Paul said, we will be cut off like the Jews that rebelled and the Pharisees. He said, then you'll be cut off. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding and practicality. In Jesus' name, amen.